It's time for security now. Steve Gibson is here with the latest security news and something he's promised for a while. A look at the security behind the new mega upload service. How safe, how secure is it despite all their protestations? Maybe, maybe not as secure as you might have thought. Steve explains all next on Security Now. Netcasts you love. From people you trust. This is Twit. Audio bandwidth for Security Now is provided by the new Winamp for Android, featuring wireless sync and one-click iTunes import. Now with free daily music downloads and full-length CD listening parties. Download it for free at winamp.com slash Android. Video bandwidth for Security Now is provided by CashFly at C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y dot com. It's time for Security Now with Steve Gibson, episode 390, recorded February 6th, 2013, Mega Security. Time for Security Now, the show, as I wave my finger, the show that brings you and your loved ones peace of mind, thanks to this fella right here, the explainer-in-chief, our security guru, Mr. Steve Gibson of GRC.com. Hi, Steve. That would be me, Leo. Yes, sir. Yes. Yes, our our non-live listeners have been spared 36 minutes of nonsense. <laughs> it's not nonsense. <laughs> no, in fact, I've nonsense. actually I've seen I've, I've received some tweets during this saying this is why I tune in and listen live. Always it's, listen you know, live. L- LOL. Yeah, you never there. know. You know, we talk about coffee, science fiction. Basically, I try to have the conversation. See, you don't. People may not know, but this is you and I only really get to talk once a week. So this is our per, this is our personal. Oh, I time. miss our our our, our quiet <laughs> this, private this dinners. Is our, this is our personal time. So we like to take a little time to catch up, see how we're each is doing, and you know, fill them in on the gossip. Boxes or briefs. Yeah. <laughs> so. Uh, uh, Hello. I guess you've been kind of busy, a little busy this week. I've been super busy, yes. Um, uh, We have lots of news. Today, as promised, we've got an overview of the security and lack of of Kim.com's new mega cloud storage offering. Oh, great. Um, Some of the attacks have been a little overblown, um, but it also demonstrates that they've got a ways to go. And it's a perfect example of why this stuff should all be done in the open. Yeah. A consequence of the fact that their initial client, their only client at this point, is a browser, is that their tech is in JavaScript, which automatically means it's open for analysis. And oh boy, um, that was a good thing because they've got a lot of work to do. Um, so we're going to talk about that. Uh, and uh, catch up on other news of the week. There was a, a, a really unbelievable article in Slate uh, about a new iOS app called Silent Circle that uh, I want to talk about. But I first want to follow up on last week's uh, universal plug-and-play nightmare revelation. Well, our, our listeners will remember that on Tuesday, the day before last week's podcast, H.D. Moore of Rapid7 uh, surprised the world with their report on the number of open and exposed universal plug-and-play ports on the world's routers. Uh, 2.2% of the entire 
addressable IPv4 space. So that's 2.2% of 4.3 billion, which was 81 million different devices responded. And um, as a consequence of that, I said that I would immediately do a, I would add a test for this to Shields Up. So all of our listeners who don't already know, I did tweet this Thursday afternoon, late afternoon. It took me all of Thursday to write it. And actually, when I went, I hadn't looked at this code for 10 years, but that was the rewrite of the original Shields Up system where I added the, the concept of true stealth, where I was looking for any noise coming back from an IP that we were testing. And I so I rewrote the the foundation with the experience from the first one, and I was frankly quite pleased when I when I looked at it uh, last Thursday. It's like, oh, this is pretty nice. And so there was already I was already checking for NetBIOS ports, which is a UDP packet where I care about the return data. So I was pretty much able to copy the logic that I had developed and proven there for the universal plug and play. Uh, probe. Anyway, so just anyone and everyone actually should go to grc.com, go to the regular Shields Up entry point, and you'll see a big clickable icon says, uh, whatever it says, you know, GRC's instant UPnP exposure test or something like that. And it just takes a few seconds. You can get three different outcomes. You are either completely invisible or you are actively denying probes or you're accepting them. Um, and in fact, because I had a couple of members of the press had asked me, what, well, you know, what, what would it look like if I was exposed? On that same page down below, I have three links to samples of the three different outcomes so people can see what they look like. I also, on that page, Leo, uh, link to the... Um, the podcast that we did last Wednesday, which was, you know, the whole beginning of it was about this. So uh, I, I, I linked to the YouTube instance of it for anybody who wants to see it and also to the audio. So uh, what we have found is um, to date 780 different individual people that have come by have been exposed. Um, someone, actually several people reported the the rejected response. I didn't even know if that was possible, but it was in, it was available to me. So I built in that, uh, that possibility of being actively rejected. The idea being that when you send a UDP packet at the port, you get, you get back an ICMP packet that says destination unreachable. So it's a, it's an affirmative. There's nobody here. So you're not stealth, but at the same time, you're also not vulnerable to a universal plug-and-play exposure. And, uh, and then, of course, if you do respond, I show on the page of the block of text which comes back, which has all the details about the, the version of Linux that you're running, the version of the universal plug-and-play code that you're running, the sure enough, the port that the device is listening on for, for future... Um, uh, conversations, I don't go to the next step of then establishing an HTTP TCP connection to that port. I could have, but my feeling is, hey, you don't want any exposure anyway, so there's really no point in showing people more <laughs> of what's there. The fact that anything is there is not good. So um, the other interesting thing that I've found 
is immediately upon finishing the podcast, I set up my own little honeypot net. I have a block of 64 IPs here that have never been used for almost anything. They get like just debris traffic in just the, the noise that's on the Internet. Um, but I left the machine on. I unbound the the IPv4 TCP protocol so that it became protocol-free because I had to put it directly on the Internet with no firewall. And then I, I hooked up the network. It's a cool thing. I don't know if people know that when you're using Wireshark, you can, in the same way that years ago in Shields Up, I showed people how to unbind protocols. You can unbind your your IPv4 and IPv6 protocol stack from the interface so that you are completely invulnerable. You're a, an adapter listening promiscuously, but it doesn't matter um, uh, that you're now on the Internet as long as you're careful because you have no te- you have no protocol es- essentially listening to that wire. It's just a raw Ethernet cable. And Wiresh- Wireshark is still able to pick up packets. And the point is that I then built a filter looking for anything incoming on UDP protocol and port 119. I have so far, so it's been about a week, found 21 unique IPs out on the Internet that have sent... UDP port 119, I'm sorry, I mean, I mean 1900 is what I'm meaning to say, 1900 uh, incoming packets to this block of 64 IPs. Several of the IPs have been scanning. They sort of scan in a pseudo-random order. They don't come back that often. Several others are doing a much slower scan. Um, so it is... It is oh, and I should men, I should mention that every day a couple new ones appear that I have not seen before. So this is exactly what we would expect if hackers were beginning to come up to speed about this vulnerability and deciding that they're going to start having some fun with this. So it is this is not a theoretical concern. There are definitely unknown entities out on the net i've tried to look up some of these ips and gotten nowhere they're just like they're just there's no records of them anywhere so uh a couple the first ones that i saw were in amazon uh amazon's um uh uh scalable network architecture system it's like whoa that's interesting so somebody was apparently using amazon as their as their scanning hub you know basically rent some mm some machine and some um, bandwidth for Amazon and scan the net for universal plug-and-play vulnerabilities. Anyway, uh, the test exists, and people have been uh, surprised and turning them off. I did just see a tweet saying that a new version of the mini UPnP, I think it was version 1.6, the tweet said, had just been released. That doesn't help end users because we're not able to update our firmware ourselves, but it does make the packages available to the manufacturers. And... Hopefully, this has been a big enough wake-up call that we'll get some firmware updates and and close these things. So that's what's been going well, on. Thanks there. for doing that. I know everybody was dying to to, to test their <laughs> to test their routers. I'm amazed at the number of uh, issues. Although in some ways that seems like a lower number than one would expect, given how many routers uh, are vulnerable. You mean like the number I'm seeing or yeah. the incoming? Uh, well. These are only, you know... I, They're Security I Now them. listeners, for one thing. <laughs> yes, exactly. Not that there's and anything we can do about it, really, is there? 
Well, it, no, I mean, all you can... Okay, Buy a new most router. Routers, most routers have universal plug-and-play on by default. Right. If you're not a gamer... Um, and you're, and well, if really, I think that, that's about it. If you're not a gamer, you should turn it off. Right. Now, but even if it's on inside your network, it may not be on outside your network. And that's the only danger. So that's what I'm testing for is whether and, it's exposed to the public. And it's not possible if I've turned it off internally that this flaw that we're talking about could still give an a- a- external attacker... Yes, that it, hat we have. Well, see, that's what I'm saying. That's what I'm thinking yes. is that yeah. Well, anybody listening to this show has certainly disabled UPnP years ago. We have we have confirmed that there are some routers that leave it on outside, even if it's off inside. inside yeah. And some that don't actually turn it off inside. That's just a <laughs> checkbox. It's like it's the WPS. It's not, it's not hooked up. To yeah, anything. it's like the WPS flaw. Yeah, <laughs> which Linksys has a checkbox that says turn off WPS that does nothing. It's nice yeah. to put those in the UI because it gives people, you know, reassures people. Oh yes, and and also it's right, it's above the one that says, "I'd like to have no problems," <laughs> and, and you can it's, just you can just check it, that. It one. reminds it's me not- of it's the security theater that we go through as we as we go through airports. It's to make you feel better. It doesn't actually. You know, it was interesting as we were leaving New Orleans because it, just it was airs out your socks, basically. Yeah. As we're leaving New Orleans because it, 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 it there was such a flood of people uh, uh, the day after the Super Bowl. <laughs> I can't even imagine. No, this was what surprised oh. me. They turned off security. We did not take off our shoes. We did not take out our laptops. They took off the micro, the millimeter scans. Uh, all we had to do was go through a metal detector. Nice, just like the old days. It was just like the old days, and I thought, yeah. But wait a minute! Didn't wasn't it important that we took our shoes off? <laughs> wasn't it important that we took our laptops out? No, you see, no. the bomb would have gone. Would, <laughs> it's irrelevant. Would have been during the game, not after the game. So, oh, know, I see. That, yeah, that didn't happen. Incoming, you're going to have security. Outgoing, eh? You know, maybe the, the fuse didn't work. Security you know. theater. It's everywhere, uh, friends. It's everywhere. Yes, it is. So, um, I did get some breathless tweets about the so-called Lucky 13 attack on SSL. Uh, It made some news that there was a new compromise on SSL. And I thought, okay, (laughs) what do we have now? Okay, so the short version is there's nothing to worry about, nothing to see here. Uh, Quoting from the paper from people who I guess really needed a PhD, they said... We've discovered a variety of attacks, each having different complexity and severity. For TLS, our attacks are multi-session attacks. And and they're not kidding when they say multi-session. We'll cover that in a second. Which means that we require the target plain text to be repeatedly sent in the same position in the plain text stream in multiple TLS sessions. Okay, so let's stop there. That means that... They need essentially the same stuff to be sent unmodified over and over and over again. Okay. So, okay, well, maybe that could be bad. The attacks involve detecting small differences in the time at which TLS error messages are returned on the network in response to attacker-generated ciphertexts. Okay, so this is a timing-based vulnerability, such as it is. 
where they're messing things up on purpose as this data is going by, and they're seeing how long it takes to have an, an acknowledgement of the thing that they broke, and they're detecting slight differences in the time to respond, which means that the algorithms at the receiving end differ depending upon the way they break the text. So this is a classic side channel attack on crypto. They said, because of network jitter and other effects, the times observed by the attacker are noisy, meaning that even if they weren't doing anything wrong, they're still going to get varying timing attacks. So they say, and multiple samples, and they're not kidding, of each time are needed to make the attacks reliable. That is, they need huge numbers of samples, which are themselves going to carry jitter in order to filter out, essentially, the native jitter in the network. So they say, in their simplest form, our attacks can reliably recover a complete block of TLS encrypted plaintext. Now, let's remember that's a cipher block, which means that's 128 bits or 16 bytes. So they can recover 16 bytes of the encrypted plaintext using about <clears throat> 2 to the 23 TLS sessions. How many? That's a lot. That's 8.4 million. So <laughs> take a little time. That well, and remember, that has they have to receive. They have to have somebody. There's an there's who, a sin in an act. Well, no, no, no. This is just this is. They have to have exactly the same match, packet right. pass by right. 8.4 million times. <laughs> but then. Then oh, I got gotcha. you. Exactly. Oh, <laughs> then we figured out 16 <laughs> bytes. Okay. <laughs> so Okay, I'm not assuming, too worried. Assuming Exactly. Assuming we can all breathe a sigh of relief. Assuming the attacker is located on the same LAN as the machine being attacked. Because, Leo, forget the internet. Right. Talk about delays and jitter. Yeah, yeah. You know, and, and buffering and all that nonsense. So this only works... If you're next to the computer, yeah. whose data you're trying to decrypt. Although with Wi-Fi, you could be on the same. No, I don't know if Wi-Fi. Wi-Fi oh. might introduce too much jitter. I mean, oh. this has got to be, you know, you can't use a tin can and string with, with this. This has got to be, I mean, they're, they're looking at something incredibly subtle. So they said they can, they said, assuming the attacker is located on the same LAN as the, as the machine being attacked and... HMAC SHA-1 is used as TLS's MAC algorithm. And, of course, that's one of many that might be used. This can be reduced to 2 to the 19 TLS sessions. Oh. If the plain text is known to be base 64 encoded, which, which means that the character set only contains a subset of the total number of bytes. Remember that a byte is 256 bits. That gives us 256 different combinations per byte. But if the if you happen to know that the plain text was base 64 encoded, then you would know that the, that the bytes were only going to be um, one of 64 values, you know, upper, lower, uh, upper and low, uppercase, lowercase, alpha, and then plus and minus. Um, if you knew that, then 
you can only you can do it in only 219 two two to the two to the hundred to, sorry two to the 19th oh, sessions wow so yeah it's anyway, me in the chat point, room says it'd be easier just to look over the guy's shoulder to be honest or just hit him on the head <laughs> clonk so, him <laughs> yeah so uh but it is true and we have to acknowledge this bruce schneier was right when he said prophetically and correctly attacks only get better they never get worse so no one is taking this lightly and all of the SSL packages in the industry have just been updated. There's a new open SSL, both the 0.9.8 track, I think went from V to Z, and uh, GNU SSL and uh, CYA SSL, all of them. Oh, and the NSS, uh, the Mozilla uh, Netscape Security Suite, that's in the process of being updated. The only things unaffected are those that are using hardware, like the F5 router technology has got it all in hardware, so there is no timing variation from that. So what, they, what, what has been done is tiny modifications were made to the code so that they're, they're looking at, at what the probes were and they're doing something to, to the code to make them um, homogeneous in terms of time response. The error messages they generate all take the same amount of time. So small change in code. And it's like, okay, good, you know, got us. So now this is fixed. So the good news is TLS is really standing up very well. And in their own, in their own overview, they said, is it still safe to use TLS so that we don't all hyperventilate at once? They wrote, and the, the, people, the, the people who figured this out wrote, the attacks can only be carried out by a determined attacker who is located close to the machine being attacked and who can generate sufficient sessions for the attacks, uh-huh, 8.4 million. In this sense, the attacks do not pose a significant danger to ordinary users of TLS in their current form. However, it is a truism that attacks only get better with time and we cannot anticipate what improvements to our attacks or entirely new attacks may yet be discovered. In addition, because of its extremely widespread use, any attack against TLS requires careful evaluation. In this context, it is notable that the leading TLS implementations are deploying countermeasures to our attacks. And it is true that everybody has said, okay, well, you know, we can't be odd man out here, so we're all going to update ourselves. I think that's actually great. It shows that they take it very seriously, even though it's not really a serious security issue. Yeah, and, and really look at the difference here. Instantaneous updates yeah. across yeah. the industry that's a, that's to, a good comparison. to something yeah. that you can hardly you can right. barely find it in a in a clear day. Right. And yet here we have routers that have been massively you know miscoded and and pumped out from the router <laughs> companies. Not a word. None. Not an None. acknowledgement, not anything. And remember, they have they have a, a liability concern too. Their attorneys are are, are like in a sweat right now, because if Don't anything happens to somebody, is what they're saying. Admit yeah, nothing. Exactly. Exactly. Now, okay, probably the most tweets I've seen in a long time came from an article in Slate on a new product for iOS called Silent Circle. I don't know what the silent circle people are paying their PR agency, but it's not enough. They, <laughs> I don't think they have a PR agency. Oh, I, somebody does. <laughs> what is it? I don't, 
This was an unbelievable article. The title was The Threat of Silence. And the subtitle was Meet the Groundbreaking New Encryption App Set to Revolutionize Privacy and Freak Out the Feds. Wow. Leo, governments are going to crumble. Oh, my God. Life as we know it, uh, forget it. Holy forget cow. about it. It's, it's all changed. How could now. it be? It's, they even have, as their CEO, a 45-year-old former Navy SEAL commando. There you go. On the team, Leo. <laughs> so I now, think that's good training for, for you know, writing security now, software. The, the article the, in Slate, I mean, it sounds like this thing is God's gift. Um, I, it is. The, the, the piece that was written it is, is more impressive than the software. The software is nice. What the software does <laughs> is, prov- is provide nice. point-to-point crypto between two iOS devices. Um, and you can burn the file at either end, subject, of course, to problems with deleting things from flash memory, which we understand is problematical. Yeah. Um, I am i don't mean to put this down um, at all. I, I think, you know, and, but the, the article is just amazing. They talk, they talk about all these case studies of people in the Middle East. Someone, you know, used it to videotape a, some, a, a something bad happening and then used Silent Circle to beam it off to Europe over their secure link and then burned it from their phone so that, you know, after they were captured, uh, you know, even Navy SEAL commandos couldn't determine what it was that they had had video recorded. Anyway, um, I nice. really That's believe. That's nice. Yeah, yes, the a UI on crypto is important. I mean, that's a lot of what I was aiming at when when I was looking at doing my own VPN. You know, we that I named CryptoLink was the idea would it would be incredibly simple to use. The reason I stopped doing the notes on how to set up OpenVPN was that, you know, I made it work, uh, like with multiple simultaneous listening ports so that you could always get to it, but it was an incredible nightmare. Right. And I thought, okay, well, I'm just going to solve this problem. So there is definitely a need for a very secure turnkey point-to-point app for ios and now we have one so announcing silent circle and if you want a real thrill to run up your leg go find the slate article uh titled the threat of silence and you'll know what this thing can do for you because it's quite impressive you're, you're mocking it a little bit yeah i am I, I i'm just the piece just no i think the app is probably really good i think the guys who are behind it that uh, they really know their crypto, so I believe it's been done right. I trust it. Unfortunately, uh, it's closed source. I can't trust any crypto that's not open source. Yeah, but it's like Zimmerman of of you know. I mean, he's one of the guys. I think maybe I'm confusing stories, but Phil, I think Phil it was Zimmerman Phil. is involved with it. I think he is the PGP guy. Yeah, yeah. So I mean, they know their crypto, and they. I'm so I believe they got it right. And it's and that's the other thing too. It's not hard to do it. It's not hard to do this right. Um, uh, it is a store and forward service so that, you know, and it's a trust no one technology so that it's being encrypted locally and that they're holding it, but they cannot break the crypto. So and what it, it says to- here is it utilizes 
Phil Zimmerman's open source ZRTP encryption protocol. Ah, uh, okay, good. I'm glad you clarified that. Um, but that we have to take their unless something's open source, we have to take their word for it. So the problem I have is that because it's iOS software, it's always closed source. Yeah, you can't val. You cannot really. You have to trust well, the company. I mean, uh, and remember too that BlackBerry had a lot of problem or rim i guess they're right. now called blackberry officially blackberry. they rim had a lot of problem in the middle east last year because the governments there were deciding we don't like not being able to see into so they opened the traffic yes and so the problem is you know what do we do here um you know here's they're making a lot of noise about the fact that this is uncrackable the fact is everybody's encryption is uncrackable you just may not be able to use it right because you know the government will will, will say no or someone will, will put some pressure on Apple and they'll remove it from the App Store and it'll vaporize off of everyone's iOS devices because we know Apple has the ability to do that too. See, that's why I like TrueCrypt because you can validate it. You can say, hey, it's working. I know what it's doing. Uh, yeah. You, you see, can't do see, that with this. And so you don't our, know if there's a government back yes. You'll never know. For, for our listeners, you know, just using AxeCrypt or one of the nice little – I mean, crypt is no that's, – that's, no, that's not hard anymore. This right. problem we've solved – you encrypt the file and you send it to somebody. On iOS, then, it's hard. I don't know yeah. if there's a way to do it. Yeah, on and iOS. so this is a nice platform. If so, for our listeners, don't, to be serious, I don't mean to put these guys down, but oh my God, this the, the, the not, Slate article is just—it's not amazing. cheap, by the way. It's it, no, it's twenty dollars a month for each endpoint. So you have to have it, and your other guy, the other person, at the other end has to have it. And uh, yeah, so that's yeah. two hundred forty bucks a year. Yeah, for the privilege. So if you need to be shuttling secure documents around and video footage and and images and so forth, this is I think this is <clears> the <throat> right app for it. There are uh there are apps for iOS uh for many of the other uh services that we have already talked about that use encryption. I think there's probably yep. ways to do this without spending yep. that much money. Yep. And there will be a client doubtless uh for Mega before long. Uh -huh. Um in well, which I can't case, wait to hear about that. Stick, stick up there. Yeah. Okay, so there was uh, – this is under the category of why bother. <laughs> so, but I do thank the person who tweeted this to me. There is a petition now at the change.org petitions site titled – it's aimed at Oracle Corporation as, as a petition to ask them to stop bundling the Ask Toolbar thank you. with the Java installer. Thank you. And again, it's like, yeah, well – Okay, I guess it's like asking a mass murderer to be a little less sloppy. You know, please clean up your mess afterwards. Well, it's a um, start. I mean, <laughs> it's a start. <laughs> so, if anyone's interested, uh, I guess I could tweet this. I, I mean, I just looked at it and I thought, well, okay, let's just have Java go away, please. Um, you know that it's the number one language, though, Leo. I mean, it's yeah. like yeah. what you have to program. They're teaching it in high school. I have a, uh, a my, one my kids' high school teaches it, and it's not. It was not my yep. recommendation. It's a, it's actually a fairly poor teaching language, uh, but it's practical, I guess. Oh, it's way too complex for yeah. like you know. I'd I'd much start. rather see a scripting language like Python or Ruby or being taught, yep. but or, yep. or better yet, even Lisp. But everybody laughs at me when I say that. So yeah, don't say that. I'm public, Leo. Besides, <laughs> they'll just think you can't you can't pronounce correctly. You know, I so, was talking to the uh, the guy who founded Reddit. Reddit was originally written in Lisp. Lisp. Yeah. But they changed that very quickly to Python. <laughs> I'm sorry. I had a good, good friend in high school who actually had a lisp, and unfortunately, her name was Leslie. Leslie. And so I'm it was sorry. really sad. She couldn't. She couldn't. She said Leslie. 
Um, but it's like, well, okay. But she was a hell of a Lisp programmer. She was. Yeah. So in our acronym acronym soup section, we have the acronym for UPNP. Remember, we all we did our various car acronyms, and and Java was just another just another vulnerability announcement. So UPNP, the best one I've seen was, you're probably not protected. So. <laughs> winner, winner, winner. Chicken probably dinner. not protected. You're probably yeah. not protected. Ah, uh, and I did have a nice note from Ron Finney. Oh, and I have a big apology too. I'll do the apology after the note uh, to our listeners, many of whom I upset. Uh, so, but and Ron's note about Spinrite reminded me of my need to apologize. He says uh, the subject was Spinrite testimony. And he said, uh, I sent the, he sent this on the 12th of January. He said, I'm a commercial video producer. I had a devastating turn of events. I caught my foot on the power cord to an external three terabyte drive and it crashed to the floor. I shouldn't That's no. horrible. Just look around you for cords, Leo. <laughs> yeah. No, you know there's there no cords. There. Yeah. Oh, that's no, good. No. Oh, throw. you got a basement. You just drill straight down. <laughs> yeah, that's we put amazing. holes in the floor. The cords that's are amazing. all downstairs. <laughs> that's wonderful. Anyway, he says, uh, the drive is history. But then the next day, a large primary internal hard drive began to fail. There went my redundancy. Uh-oh. I was getting error notifications upon boot up that the drive was failing. I immediately began attempts to back up the data, but the drive and Windows Explorer would seize up after only transferring one or two files. And when it would transfer, it was extremely slow. I went a whole day and got virtually nowhere. Late in the evening, I got Spinrite. Files started copying, and it is copying almost without a glitch if I don't try to move the files all at once. I am so relieved. I was certain this three-year-old drive was toast. The product, your product, retrieved irreplaceable files and important video footage that would have taken days to hunt down and recapture from digital tape. Thanks for a great product. Ron Finney, owner, Northwoods Productions in Gig Harbor, Washington. So thank you, Ron, for sharing your success story. And my apology to the people whom I offended... What? Unintentionally. Oh, yes. When I mentioned, I I glibly said that nobody has gigs of data on their, of their own creation on their drives. This was a couple months ago. We were talking about backing up, you know, like the need to back up gigs of data. And I I said, you know, who creates that kind of content? Well, lots of people. Many people took umbrage at that. Yes. And of course, you know, I'm talking to somebody who's. Who's uh, over in driveland? Yeah, I didn't take umbrage, but... Uh, no, no, you know what I meant. I, I'd like to move to umbrage, right next to Gig <laughs> Haba. All right, no, yeah. of course we know, but you know, you really, uh, the truth is you wouldn't back up that much data. It'd be foolish because, uh, you know, you'd, you it would take an impossible amount of time unless you had virtually unlimited bandwidth. But that's, I do recognize really the people who are shutterbugs, who are, are sure. like generating photos like mostly, crazy. Mostly videographers. But mostly video people. Yeah. And then those are the people who tweet it back saying, hey, I've got, yeah. you know, terabytes. It's like, okay, yeah. fine. But sorry. Yeah. I, I don't know if we were talking about online backup when we were talking about that. but We were, actually. Yeah, because yeah. that's crazy. Because if you just do the math, yeah. even if you have a megabit, let's see, we can do it in our heads. It's so easy. The math makes that TLS vulnerability look feasible. Yeah. <laughs>
But if you had, let's say you had five megabits, let's say you could do a megabyte a second. It's still, just do the math. You could see it. anything more than a few, a few hundred gigabytes is ridiculous. That'd be a million of those. Yes. Yeah. A million seconds. How many million seconds is that? Yeah. <laughs> How many is a million seconds? It's a, you know, long time. That's a lot. Hey, I before you go on, we, we we're going to talk about uh, mega mega upload. I hope we're still going to. Yeah, mega.com. Yeah. Um, and it's security. They claim it's or secure. But how secure is it? Just mm-hmm. wanted to remind everybody about our box of awesome. This is uh, our friends at, um, uh, <laughs> you know. Wherever they are. Bespoke, maybe? Bespoke. Thank you. Ah. Absolutely. Why couldn't I remember that? Bespoke post uh, are still, you know, well, Valentine's Day is coming, for instance. And if you've got a guy... It, this is these are for guys. Uh, if you've got a guy and you're trying to think, well, what could I give him? Bespoke is awesome. So we we've talked about. I've got a wine decanter. Uh, every month, a new gift, um, and uh, and a variety of stuff. We did the coffee one. This is the new one that just came in. I love it because it's very macho because it comes in a, a a cigar box. But now, if if uh, ladies, let me speak to you. I know you're not going to give your man. He might like cigars. But but you may not like the upshot of the cigar. I have a friend, you know, when we sometimes we'll smoke cigars at poker. And many of my friends end up undressing on the porch because they can't go in the house with cigar infused clothing. So let's let's this is not a box of cigars. This is kind of funny. It's a shoe shine kit. Did you when you were a kid? My dad would have me shine his shoes and he had a little shoe shine kit. This is kind of updated for the uh for the elegant folks, the brushes, the creams, the polish, all top-of-the-line sapphire stuff. It even comes with some laces, red and blue, and a beautiful cloth for buffing and storing your stuff. This is uh, this is an example of a bespoke post gift. They do all the thinking for you. They curate these gifts so you can come across as, oh, I'm very thoughtful. I knew exactly what you wanted. And instead, you know, they do all the work. Very masculine, fun stuff. And you get 20% off your first box if you go to B-E-S-P-O-K-E bespokepost.com slash twitch. You can see what the boxes are. Of course, your man can reject any box anytime. Uh, but if you uh, if you use the twit uh, address you get 20% off your box, and uh, you can see the archive of boxes, all the different boxes. Um, let's see, The Weekender. Let me just put my email in here. And continue on, because I have an account. These are the Weekender box, the Shave box, the Summer Essentials, Salt. Everybody likes salt. You know you like salt. Um, all sorts of cool stuff. I remember the cheese slate. That was cool. I'm still using that. The wine decanter. The agave tequila box. All can be yours. Invite a friend, earn $25, and, of course, save 20% at bespoke.com slash twit. Solves the whole problem of what to give your geek for Valentine's Day or any holiday. Or just, you know, do the the uh, regular monthly post. You can have it go for six months or a year. And then they're really going to be happy. And it comes in a nice box of awesome. All right, Steve, let's talk. Megaupload.com. I first have to mention that since I gave the more clear and thorough explanation of the universal plug-and-play vulnerability, uh, Shields Up did get another uh, big hit 
of visitors. That's oh, after good. the hit that we got from our live audience before we I mean, started just now this. we got a big hit. Seven more vulnerabilities oh, wow. were found among our live listeners. Wow. Yes. And so those people are no longer now. listening as they rush to buy new routers. <laughs> it's like, oh, my God. <laughs> yes. And, uh, well, as long as we're doing follow-ups, I might also mention that, uh, and thanks to uh, Web0213, Phil Zimmerman is indeed one of ah. the founders of Silent Circle. Phil, of course, the did, creator of PGP. Did think he was. Yes, yeah. good. So they not only use his protocol. I tell you, that reassures me considerably because I know Phil. Yep. I trust yep. Phil. He's the president and co-founder along with Mike Janke. So uh, in that case, I would say absolutely. No, I really think it's the real deal. I just yeah. think that their PR firm needs to like be taken out to a huge, wonderful, <laughs> expensive dinner. Because well, that, that Slate article is just over-the-top wonderful. And I know that uh, Phil, in fact, is a little sensitive about uh, what uh, some of the criticisms people have that uh, encryption can be used to defeat law enforcement and government. He would not want – I don't think he would want that kind of coverage. I, don't, I think he knows that that's a sensitive issue with encryption. And he's – you know, Well, and at the end of the article, some, they, they're, the interviewer asks the CEO – well, what will happen, or, or I think the CEO volunteers that, you know, if it turns out the governments are unhappy with us, we'll just go somewhere where the laws are less restrictive. Oh, that's good. It's like, okay, and <laughs> Apple's going to follow you there? Mm -hmm. uh, yeah. It's interesting, yeah. Anyway, thank okay. you. Let's go. Uh, mega, mega security overview. Um, okay, so uh, we know this is about Kim.com. Who, as I understand it, Leo, changed his last name? Yeah, legally. he's he's German. His real name is, I think, Kim Schmitz. Yeah, uh, and he is uh, quite the promoter. He's uh, a little bit, you know, he's got a kind of, I don't want to say shady <laughs> past, but uh, interesting past, yeah. um, and uh, has been in trouble with the law before. He created a service called Mega Upload, and uh, it was widely used for a variety of things, kind of like Dropbox. Um, it turned out that it was apparently widely used for piracy. Some say partly because of the way it was structured. Uh, Mega Upload always said, no, no, we don't encourage piracy. Um, nevertheless, the United States government decided it was, seized their servers in the U.S. and managed to get the New Zealand government to arrest Kim.com. Uh, Did they extradite or just arrest him there? They have not extradited him. He is, uh, I, as far as I know, he's, you know, he's, he's wandering around New Zealand. Yeah, because uh, the DOJ did try to extradite him. Char charges have not been dropped, and it is not over yet on Mega Upload. Mm -hmm. However, he went out and raised more money. And uh, by, by the way, a lot of people are very upset about the seizure of Mega Upload servers because they were using it for business documents and other purposes and have lost all their data that was stored there. Uh -huh. um, so it's not completely piracy anyway. So he started... and. and and there's more, much more to the story. But he started a new company a couple of weeks ago on the actually on the anniversary of the seizure of MegaUpload.com. Well, and therein lies a bit of a story. Uh huh. Because it looks like they were in a bit of a hurry. Um, I think it was clear that there was schedule pressure for the release of this on the anniversary of the raid, which was what he did. Yeah. Um, but. Uh, a bunch of people have looked at the code, as have I, and after I I got recovered from looking at it. Um, <laughs> really? Oh, goodness, yes. There, the, See, a lot of interest they, because it's got 50 gigs of free storage to start, right? Yeah, but well, yes. And, and 
the the and they're billing themselves the privacy company. Yeah, their 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 own their own documentation states that they know the JavaScript is a mess, that it's not commented, it's poorly formatted, it needs work, and I know you're sitting down, but don't don't puncture your ball, Leo. <laughs> This this is their first JavaScript project. Their first ever. Yes. Yes, this is the first JavaScript they've written. And <laughs> well, it does show, unfortunately. Oh, oh now, so wait a so minute. So the encryption and everything is client side? Yes, and that it is it attempts to be a TNO system, a oh. trust no one system. Okay. And that's the benefit. Now, many people have commented that it is a benefit to them more than it is a benefit to us. Um, I don't quite follow that as long well, as they're not going to get arrested. Maybe. Well, there. Well, there's a lot to talk about here. So, okay. um, the first is that they're using the briar, the, the briar, the browser as their client. Right. So that's a problem. It is the case that they apparently have a very nice back end, and. They are the API is open, and I am sure we will see people developing clients for to to use the the mega system natively rather than through the browser. But the only client that exists today is the browser. So the browser and that's is a, that's what's in JavaScript, not the back end. Correct. We don't well. well we see, don't the know. The back end is closed. We don't know. But the good news is. The worst that they could do, well, it's not quite true. I was going to say the worst that they could do is to lose your data, but that's not exactly true um, because they are also doing file deduplication. Wait a minute. How do they do that if uh, it's trust no one? Ah, well, it is. turns out it's possible to do that. There's something called convergent cryptography. We talked about that a couple of uh, yes. episodes ago. And the the idea is... If you have a file and you hash it to get the key which you use to encrypt it, then only someone who had the file has the key because they had to have the file to hash it to get the key. And that means that anybody else that had the same file independently hashed it would get the same key. So the idea is when you send this up there to the cloud, the cloud sees... Oh look, um, we've already got the same, the same file with the same hash, so we're not going to store it again. But that now, leaks information. Well, go ahead. I know. Y- it's yes, it does. Yeah, it, it leaks information that the MPAA would like to love have. to know because all they yes. do is they upload their movie, get the key, yep. and see who else has done that. <laughs> so there, there is a problem. For, uh, there's no question that the deduplication only serves the benefit of of mega now a a study that microsoft did in 03 of 585 workstations showed that 50 percent benefit could be obtained by doing duplicate elimination among that set of microsoft's 585 workstations but okay first of all this was in 03 so there weren't like videos and MP3 files at probably in huge abundance on Microsoft workstations. They were also probably all running Windows, probably the same version. 
So there was there was a, a large substrate of identical stuff. Now, where people are taking pictures, that's original content. Um, anyone who who does an MP3 conversion themselves is probably going to be generating original content from the original digital source. Um, you know, MP3 is a lossy compression, and all the codecs are slightly different and, and operate in a slightly different fashion. So it's only, I, I mean, I mean oh, I, I, what I should say is that modern analysis of typical cloud storage only shows a 0.1% benefit from dupe elimination. So what that says to me is it's they they that they if they're bothered to do dupe elimination, which is not a simple thing to do, and it comes at a cost of privacy, um they must be gaining a lot from it. And the only way you could gain a lot from it is if many identical huge files are being uploaded. And of course As in those are movies. Piracy. <laughs> yeah, that's piracy. So so that's the only reason I can see that that they would still have that in there. But and, and it really and I should the hash is not going to be the same unless the file is absolutely identical. In other words, well, one one bit different is right. is half of the bits are different in the hash. So if I rip a movie and you rip exactly the same movie, that doesn't mean the hashes will be equal. In fact, the chances are very slim that they will be equal. It's only really going to be identical downloads if it's, it's the same be, we file. Both, we both downloaded the same right. file from BitTorrent and then, and then, and then reshared it. Right. Right. Okay, so Java is a ch- Java crypto is challenged in the browser. There's there are a number of things that are tricky with doing security, good good crypto and security in the JavaScript in in a browser. For one thing, all of the pieces that come into the page have nominal access to the Java that's running. So you need to control the entire envelope of everything that that is there. Also, many JavaScript implementations have known poor random number generators, and this is this is a big problem for for crypto that is purely Java based. When when I was doing the work on the off the grid project, and I developed that ultra high entropy program, a uh, pseudo random number generator. The way I solved the problem was that I sent a ver a wad of very good entropy down with the page and then added to that the entropy from the machine and you know mouse and keyboard and things other things that I was able to get the The beauty of that is that you're then not relying just on local entropy but you're starting with really good entropy but then you're adding to it so that, so in my case, for example, so that GRC doesn't know anything about the entropy you finally had on your system because you immediately dumped a bunch from the local machine and you know mushed it all together in order to get something new. But it solved it, that that approach, which they're not using by the way, and they could trivially add, would really help the problem of of them using the known limited random number generating capabilities of of JavaScript on the browser. Now, another troubling note is, and this is, comes from the analysis of the script. If you select "Remember Me" during your logon, your master key to all of your data 
is stored unencrypted in the browser's local storage and is written to disk. So that's not good. You don't want to do that. Um, that that's an example of some of the limitations, partly of their implementation and partly the fact that they're that they're in the browser and in JavaScript. But the problem is, if you know, we have a we we have a trust. We want to have a trust no one technology, but we really can't. We really never have that if we're using JavaScript, which we dynamically download from them on the fly because all they have to do is change the JavaScript and it's no longer TNO. Now, what they've done is something interesting. They've got a very good high-level 2048-bit public key crypto on their main mega server, mega.co.nz or something. Um, that's got very good crypto. The problem is they can't afford to serve the bulk of their JavaScript from that single server to the world. So they use a content delivery network to, to provide most of the, the JavaScript. They have the concept of a chain of trust, which we've talked about often in the context of certificate authorities, where the idea is you download from Mega the, the index.html, which is, contains a core of JavaScript and signatures, digital signatures, fingerprints, for all the other files that, that it then loads from the content delivery network, the CDN network. And the idea is that you trust the, the, the core that you get from Mega, and then you, then you trust all of the additional JavaScript code for to flesh out the client that, that is not coming from Mega, but from a you know, geographically distributed uh, CDN, because that core verifies the signature. The problem is they made a mistake in the algorithm that they chose for verifying the signatures. Um, they use some a, a, an approach called CBC Mac, uh, Cipher Block Chaining Message Authentication Code. It's We've talked about Cipher Block Chaining even recently, where the concept is you don't just take um, 128 bits of plain text and encrypt it to 128 bits of ciphertext, then take the next 128 bits of plain text and encrypt it to the next 128 bits of ciphertext because that would mean that each block would stand alone and there would be leakage of information if you ever encrypted the same plain text. You'd always get, uh, under the same key, you'd always get the same ciphertext. So instead, they take the output from the first operation and XOR that exclusive or it with the input to the second operation and so forth, forming a, a forward pointing chain. So you can do the same thing in order to, in order to verify a file using cipher block chaining. And, um, and essentially you, you, you've, um, you, uh, feed the file in 
and chain together all the ciphers and get a result out. The problem is this is known not to be secure for variable length content. That is, if you if the length cannot change, then this is secure. If you were, for, for example, if you wanted to do to use CBC Mac for um, uh, 4K clusters, then because they're always 4K, it's secure. It, you can trust that the code you get will be will, will demonstrate that none of the bits in that 4K cluster changed. Any bit changes, it's going to be different. And it is computationally infeasible to make any sort of change that you would want to and also have the Mac come out the same. This only applies, though, for fixed length. The JavaScript that they're loading from the CDN are inherently variable length. And and it is trivial, it turns out, to compute whatever Mac message authentication code you wish to have for a block whose content and length you can specify. And so there, this completely breaks something that in their own documentation, they talk about, they brag about how they've done this in order pr to protect the code that could otherwise be not under their control on a, in a content delivery network. You know, bad guys could somehow get up to some mischief and change those files on a CDN that they don't have direct oversight over. So they've tried to protect that, and they completely blew it. They, I mean, they blew it badly. Um, it's not at all clear why they did this. I mean, we know how to do message authentication codes. The only thing I can see is that they really seem to like the AES cipher. They just use it for everything. And so this is a way of using a symmetric cipher like Rindal AES for cipher block chaining to create a message authentication code. But it's and I should mention there are safe ways to do it. There is there's something called a, a CMAC, an AES CMAC, which is an RFC standard, RFC 4494. So if you wanted to use AES, it can be done. They just didn't do that correctly. Or you use an HMAC, which is a standard hash-based message, message authentication, to also do it. Those are strong authentication technologies. They just didn't use them. They, they basically rolled their own, and they rolled it wrong. Mm. So that there is no protection at all for the bulk of the JavaScript, which is being loaded into people's uh, browsers when they go to Mega and are trusting what they get. How would so, you attack it? Um, anybody, anybody just changes the JavaScript in the CDN network, you know, through whatever means, and they're able to, they're able to change the JavaScript and have it authenticate so that when it is pulled by the client and this, this root JavaScript that was directly received from Mega, when it does it runs the message authentication code over the JavaScript, it'll say, oh, this is, this is legal. This is exactly the code that we gave the CDN to give to you. That's kind of when in fact, It is really bad, Leo. <laughs> it's really bad. Yeah, so yeah. it breaks that. 
So it, also, basically, you could do a man in the middle attack on this on the JavaScript, replace it with your own. Yeah, 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 and ha and ha and have it completely pass authentication because they authenticated com in a completely broken fashion. Yeah. They also use. And, and you a see this, by the way, from the source code. You can look at the source code and say, "Oh, I see where they blew it." Yep, exactly. Wow. Yes, and in fact, and, that and means everybody it, else has as well. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> and and it's worth saying that these are all launch problems. Right. I mean, they can I don't fix know. This quickly. Yes, the this can all be fixed. I'm um, um. In fact, there are some things that have already been fixed. So so these are you know. We don't. We're, we shouldn't trust amateurs that have never done crypto and have, are writing the JavaScript for the first time. Uh, you know, and coming out of the gate on day one, saying everybody use this. They should have not been focused on this anniversary date. No doubt, work on the back end took longer than they expected. They didn't get to the front end. You know, in time, this wasn't released to the crypto community for vetting if if it had been it would have been you know torn apart and they could have you know said thank you very much for your input fixed all these things and and then and then released something that was solid from day 1 instead the press had a had a fiesta this you know the last couple of weeks you know with all of these stories about how broken uh mega was you know mega insecurity um another example is they they try to do they take the user's password and they try to s strengthen the password. We've talked about how that's done. It's by iterating. You do it's called you know we've talked about PB uh, PBKDF2 password based key derivation function. We've talked about just uh, two weeks ago when we were talking about memory hard functions uh, used by Scrypt uh, in to, to deliberately make something slow. What these guys did. <laughs> was they used an unsalted AES loop. So they take the password from the user and they convert it into a uh, the block size of AES and then with a fixed password so that everybody in the world uses the same... Oh, I'm sorry, with a fixed key. Fixed key for AES, they then run AES on itself, 16,364, uh, one, one, three, wait, I've lost my powers of two, uh, uh, 8192, 16384, uh, 16,384 times. So basically they take the output of that of one, put it right back in and re-encrypt it again, re-encrypt it again, re-encrypt it again, re-encrypt it again. The problem, okay, so there's several problems. First of all, AES is so popular that it's now implemented in hardware, even on commodity systems. It's, you know, Intel's chipsets all support AES instructions now. So AES is screamingly fast. So even 16,000 iterations isn't fast. But what's worse is the key used never changes across the entire user base, which means that all you have to do is take a dictionary of the 10,000 most common passwords, run them through this forward. Since no one's key is ever different, we will get out the result, and now we have a lookup table for passwords. 
So this is just as bad as the the long stand. I know. <laughs> That's as bad as you can get, really. It's as bad as you can get. They've learned nothing from decades of experience with how to do this. You know, all the people that are using like unsalted SHA-1 to, to encrypt their passwords and then the passwords get out and they're immediately broken because there are, we have lookup tables now. Right. You know, reverse lookup tables for hashes. It's easy to create one because AES is so fast. It wouldn't even take the bad guys long to build the table. And then all you do is take someone's password and look it up here. And, and I mean, you you take the hashed result, look it up, and that reverses it for you. So it, it's a disaster. And then finally, so okay, and all they had to do was use something slow. Use Blowfish. Blowfish in Bcrypt was chosen because the key setup is so slow and there's no way to speed it up. So you use Blowfish with a, a key that changes every time and it just grinds along. And so it so that's a much better choice than than see for some reason they just glommed onto AES and they used it everywhere. And even though you can use it right, they didn't. It's a and, marketing term for them. We use AES everywhere, and that should make yeah. you feel better. Yeah, actually, it is. Come to think of it, it's in yeah. all. It's on all their pages. Yeah. And finally, it was noted by some people who signed up that the link you receive for email address confirmation is your user's hashed password and your encrypted master key. So, it is. What that mean, and of course, email is always sent in the clear, with very few exceptions. Certainly, all of this email is. So, anyone intercepting the confirmation email gets the user's hashed password to <laughs> dump to drop into this reverse lookup table oh. that we just constructed a minute ago. I didn't even have to and, run the tables. <laughs> and then you have the encrypted master key, which you can decrypt using that result. So you now have access to all the users' files. Wow. It's it's a it's a catastrophe of mistakes. They should there is no reason to send all that information, the user's hashed password and their encrypted master key to them as the confirmation link. Right. You know, send a random number and when they click that, associate it with that stuff that you've held for a while, maybe they're trying to do like stateless sign-up, so they have no state um, at their end. They send. I'm everything. sure that's a higher priority for them, given their their current you know state of being in, under indictment. Yeah, the um, less they they, they to, store, the better. But, but then all they had to do is encrypt that with right. a key that only they know, and then decrypt it when it comes back to them. Right. But they didn't do that. They left it unencrypted. The user's hashed password and the encrypted master key and other stuff in the link. Just nutty. So it's 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 hard to understand. <laughs> I mean, it, it's just full of holes. And then finally, this whole problem with dupe elimination that we talked about. They are presumably they're doing, you know, we know that they're they're bragging about eliminating duplicates. I cannot see a way that that's safe for us, for users who might be storing data that anybody else would ever store. If we're storing photos and if we're storing 
our own videos or our own anything. I mean, 50 gigs is pretty tasty, you know, in terms of, of data. Oh, yeah. But, but if, if what you store ever matches what somebody else has stored, that information is there. Now, the, the individual file systems are encrypted at Mega's, in Mega's servers so that it's probably not possible for the MPAA to say, tell us now all the people who have this. Um, and as I understand it, you do send the whole file to Mega. What Mega could have done, and this would have been a big mistake, would have been to to hash it first. And we've talked about this in terms of TNO, cloud storage, and, and I think maybe it was BitCasa, uh, where, where BitCasa didn't even bother to upload a file that it already had. Well, that is an instant giveaway to the recording industry, the oh, copyright you've got holders. copies of this, eh? <laughs> yeah, you already got it. Didn't need to send it to you. It was instant. Okay, we're, we're going to go talk to our attorneys. We'll be right back. Yeah. Um, so I think you have to send the file up. Anyway. So, yeah. yeah, anyway. So you don't, so the MPAA doesn't instantly know that there's already a, a copy of this online. But even so, um, somewhere there's got to be a, what's called a reference count. That is, as somebody else uploads the same file, uh, somewhere there's a counter that increments because they've got to know when it goes to zero that they can they can get rid of it. I mean, the, the, somewhere they, they well, may, I guess maybe not, actually. Maybe if they just never flush the stuff or if it ages and expires and disappears or maybe they're just going to have infinite storage. But one would think they would do that. My point is that that somewhere... You are identified as being the owner of that file, and there is a and there is a a notion of of the group of people who own it. It may be that I mean we do understand that the file system is encrypted under the user's password and the master key that's created from that, so that only the user is able to decrypt their piece of the file system, but the mechanism is unclear, and it's not clear to me whether it wouldn't be possible to have a subpoena which says, this is a file we're sure your users have. Um, we've uploaded it, and, you know, and, and we want to subpoena the, the reference count, and it comes back, you know, 10,000. <laughs> yeah. And they go, okay, fine. So 10,000 people have uploaded this file. You're telling us that because the file system is encrypted under their individual keys, you don't know who they are. So we're, we're, we found a judge who has issued a subpoena that will, will compel you to tell us who they are when they log in, because that's the point. When you log into Mega, you are decrypting your file system while you're there. And at that point, the, clear that the file is sitting there in your file tree architecture and it is known. So I just, I can't see a way that, that, it, is, that it is safe to do this. Maybe when we know more about their back-end architecture, 
it'll become clear. Um, I would, and we talked about this actually when we were talking about the problems, this kind of problem of, of dupe elimination, all you have to do is make some change to the file so that it's going to be different and then it won't match and you'll have your own, you know, your own instance of it. Normally, there's a lot of junk up in the header that you could change. You could right. randomize, you know, and, you know, so it's not going to hash the same. One bit is different. It doesn't matter how you know. Yes. Yeah. Um, I will say that I found it interesting that they're clearly browser-centric at this point. I want to remind people that this is just the low-friction, no-client-needed user-browser to upload and download and browse and things, I am sure we're, we're going to see, because they are being very open with their API to the back end, we will see mega clients uh, popping up fast. iOS, Windows, Linux, Mac, you know, you name it. And many things get better then. That, you know, all this JavaScript problem, all of this authentication problem, I mean, I, I'm, I'm sure... They've, they've looked, I know because I've read their blogs, that they've looked at the criticism that they've received. And while they've, they've you know, sort of put up a good front, the fact is many of these this critiques are correct, like the ones you've just heard from me. There was a bunch of other stuff that was over the top, like, well, if SSL was broken, then it's right. like, well, okay, yes, and a meteor could hit the earth too. So, you know, let's not concern ourselves with that. Um, but they because they're browser-centric, Chrome is their favorite browser. It has they they talk about Chrome as the best browser for using Mega, and interestingly, IE10 is their second choice. Hmm. Both Chrome because both Chrome and IE10 have have implemented the HTML5 file system interface. I've not looked at it, um, but clearly you need to somehow write files back to your file system that you got from your browser. Now, Firefox studiously avoids that. You know, it's it's never going to allow you to do that. I mean, that's really, you know, malware's dream come true. So, um, I'm surprised Chrome so lets you do that. I am too. Um, there, You have to, like, you have to acknowledge it and say, yes, you're sure. Oh, I and know why. Like, it does it for Chrome OS and, and systems where you... You need to do that because Chrome and probably is your... Google Docs too, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah, it's yeah, a, yeah. yeah. Google, Google Docs, Drive. you're able yeah. to, you know, I'm able to do that, right? So it's like, okay, let's hope <laughs> hope this doesn't turn out badly. But I thought it was interesting that they like Chrome first and IE10 second, mostly because if it's got support, they also said that IE10's Java just runs like a bat out of hell. They're really happy. Yeah, they have, uh, they're using a, a good just in time. Uh, uh, yeah, renderer. Tomorrow. Yeah, so um, at this point, uh, I read I read a recommendation uh, that I liked a lot. Um, actually, it was the Spider Oak folks who, of course, they're in the same market, and so they were looking at the uh, astounding amount of of interest that Mega was able to generate overnight. I mean, I'm sorry, I'm sure you saw the numbers, Leo. Oh, you yeah. know, million, five million people in, in a few hours. They had hundreds of thousands, and they were, you know, some numbers of. New accounts per second were being created. Anyway, the Spider Rope guys uh, took a look at it and had some good commentary. I liked what they concluded. They said, given the startup problems, nothing which you have uploaded 
so far should be considered safe. So use it with caution now. And once these problems are fixed and known, fixed and confirmed, then scrap everything. Uh, Start over. Start over. Create a new account. Uh, with new strong password. Oh, yeah. They said you also use a very strong bizarro from outer space password because you don't want to be fall victim to the the 10,000 password dictionary reverse lookup, which somebody is doing as we speak right now. Um, so use, you know, use a crazy password. Um, but when these problems are fixed, just start over just and, and consider everything you did before is is no longer safe because technically it's not, you know, we, we, they're, I think they're trying to do the right thing. Um, but this, you know, using the browser as sloppily as they have in order, you know, to come up with a zero friction solution that they're just, it's just fraught with problems. Hey, you mentioned salted hashes. And it, ma- it made me think of a couple of security, uh, things that, uh, you, you didn't mention. Twitter was hacked. You probably saw that. Maybe you didn't uh, oh see yes, that. Uh, quarter million. Uh, the first were apparently the late. first two hundred fifty thousand users, which uh, uh, I'm one of them, ooh, so I got ooh, that no email. Kidding. Yeah, oh, the you early did get users. That. Yeah, ah, okay. um, but those were salted uh, and hashed, so probably not an issue if you used a good password, right? I would think that's really true, Leo. Yes. So just being prudent. Uh, letting people know and forcing they did force us to change our password and then the other one and you didn't mention this but i thought it was kind of interesting uh, the file colon slash 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 bug yeah i saw it go in by, OS but 10. i did not pursue it what was it it well, crashes os 10 or something no it doesn't crash the os it'll crash any app uh pretty much if you enter it in chrome or safari as a url it'll crash it if you enter it as a file name it'll crash and and apparently it's using some some uh you know library some system library it just didn't didn't expect three slashes didn't expect that oh it has to be capital f i l e colon slash 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 wow but and we mentioned this yesterday on mac break weekly well all it does now is crash apps as anybody who listens to security now knows that's always the first step yes Anyway, just a couple of uh, addenda. Yeah, that's that's a crash in a bad place too. It is not good in the browser. Well, and it's also in a field that's accepting data. Mm-hmm. So who knows if you if you created something wacky afterwards, mm-hmm. if that would like then? crash it in a way that allows you to execute what's in the buffer right. that follows or something. Right. Who knows? Exactly. exactly. I'm sure Apple will be on it. Steve, yeah, it's kind of embarrassing. Frankly, it's a long-standing bug that uh, nobody, nobody <laughs> knew about. Uh, Steve, always a pleasure. This show, uh, we do this show every, uh, two, uh, sorry, Wednesday at 11 a.m. Pacific. What day it is? Whatever day Whatever it is. the hell day this is. <laughs> 2 p.m. Eastern time, 1900 UTC. If you want to watch live, the chat room is always uh, a great resource for both me and Steve. Somebody asked a question in the chat room, and I and I had to say, you know, Steve is in the middle of a conversation, but in general, he does not answer questions from the chat room because he likes to research and and come up with the definitive, canonical answer to any question. But there is a way to ask him questions, and next week we will answer uh, questions by going to grc.com slash feedback, and Steve will pick 10 or so questions from the list and um, and answer those. And maybe we'll even get to them. This time. Yeah, we missed a few <laughs> last week. 
<laughs> we got we did four last time. Yeah. But but that's because I mean the, we, the it's not like there was news. You know, we didn't have enough to talk about. We still delivered an hour and a half of of great content. So that's really our goal. And we were explaining this week, uh, yep. you know, uh, kind of more about the UPNP uh, issue, and of course, Spinrite. I'm sorry, I always say Spinrite instead of Shields Up. Spinrite's the great program Steve makes, and, and encourage you to buy. Because that's his bread and butter. The really the only thing he charges for right now, and that's at GRC.com. It's the best hard drive maintenance utility out there. There's nothing even close. But also uh, Shields Up, which is his free service he's had for many years. You said you hadn't touched the code since 2009, 2006. Been a while. Uh, yeah, it's been. Uh, it was about ten years actually. Wow, 2000. 2003. Oh, we're not we're now we're at 790. So three wow. more people have found exposures of their routers since the last 787. Is there a short yeah, URL yeah. to go to for that? No, there's really not. Just go to grc.com and run and shields just, up. And go shields up. Yeah. yeah. And then you find you can't miss it uh once you go there. Um yeah, you know, I write my code to last and uh, I hadn't looked at it in a decade. Or I should say, I hadn't looked at that aspect, but you know, I've written other code to do, you know, related things like the perfect paper, like like the perfect paper password support, the DNS spoofability test, you know, other aspects of that. But that particular area, the shields up stuff, has just been cruising along with uh, with no problems, <laughs> much like Spinrite itself, that uh, is due for an update. And uh, as soon as I catch it with my other loose ends, I'm going to do that. GRC.com. That's the place to go. You can follow Steve on Twitter at SGGRC. He tweets all week with links and so forth. And it's a good place to post queries or at more more like informational updates to him because he does read the at replies to at SGGRC. You can also uh, get 16 kilobit audio versions of the show there for people with bandwidth constraints or you're hearing that just can't tell the difference uh, and uh, transcripts, which makes it really easy to follow along. If you want a slightly higher quality audio or video, get that from us. Twit.tv slash SN. And now we're on YouTube with uh, YouTube.com slash Security Now. Yeah. So that's a good way you can watch the video on YouTube. We, we, we certainly uh, count that. You know, that's that's part of our counting. Um and, uh, you know, we prefer you subscribe if you can in iTunes or a Downcast or some other uh, client. But if if you want to watch on YouTube, you can do that. And you can even subscribe at that point and get an email every time there's a new episode posted on YouTube. That's at uh, YouTube.com slash security. Steve, we'll see you next Wednesday. Sounds good. On Security Now. Thanks, Leo. Security Now.